to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Today, I want to talk about a really important factor that often gets missed or forgotten or isn't known um, when we are talking about what's the optimal way to eat for the human body. It's a it's kind of a missing factor when we're talking about everything from the paleo diet to the ketogenic diet to low carb or low fat or high fat or high carb, high protein, low protein, all of these um, kinds of diets. Um, or ways of eating. There's recent research that has come up. And when I say recent, the first time it was mentioned and coined in the literature was 1994, um, is the uh, impact that our way of eating has on our what's called acid-base balance of the body and what that impact will have on tissues of our body like our bones. Okay, so first I have to do a little bit of background explanation because. I'm going to assume that you don't know anything about acid base in the body because most people don't. And usually, I mean, doctors are taught about it um, and um, kidney doctors are especially aware of it because the balance of acid and base in our body is um, very tightly regulated by organs and particularly the kidneys, also the lungs. Every tissue really participates in it. But essentially what it is, is that our body operates optimally at a certain pH level, which means at a certain balance between acidic and non-acidic, which is base or alkaline. Okay? You can think of it like a seesaw where you have one side acid and the other side alkaline, and you want to have it at a perfect point for your body. Now, what's interesting is that the perfect point inside of your blood is different from the perfect point in other tissues. In like, for example, your organs, like your bones or your ovaries or your testes, uh, your brain, you know, everything has its ideal set point, okay? And just as an example in disease, cancer um, cell, like tumors, have their own unique set point. They tend to be very, very acidic compared to the surrounding tissue. So that's an interesting thing to know. Okay. And our body has to very closely regulate, especially in the blood. It, it triages um, everything so that the blood is like very tightly regulated. So, um, you, you know, it does everything it can to maintain that pH range, which is usually 7.4 thereabouts in the blood, very consistent. Okay. And so what does that mean? Okay, so what can change the pH of the blood if it, you know, what can change that? So one of the major things that changes it is um, what you eat or drink. Okay, so it didn't used to be thought that this was necessarily the case. However, remember I mentioned that in 1994, we discovered some 
um, different kind of processes that the body undergoes. And one of them is what's called the potential renal acid load. What does that mean? Renal is kidney. An acid load is the amount of acid that is produced in the body by the foods and the drinks that we consume. And what that means is that what you eat or drink will either cause um, an acidic state to happen in the tissues and in the blood or an alkaline state, okay? And generally speaking, you don't want too much of the other, but it's worse to be acidic than it is to, than it is to be alkaline, but you certainly want to be very well balanced, okay? And the thing is that if you look at the modern day diet, most of the foods that we consume are more acid producing than alkaline producing. So let me give you a few examples, okay? So what produces um, alkaline um, situations in the body, like base in the body, are fruits and vegetables. Okay, so fruits and vegetables create an alkaline production in the body. So when the body breaks down, you take in the fruits and vegetables, primarily vegetables, but fruits as well, and some fruits more than others, will break it down and that breakdown effect and all of the breakdown of, you know, all of the breakdown products, what it causes is an overall net effect in the body of, in the blood and the tissues of alkalinity. Okay. And they've actually, the reason this is relatively new uh, information is because only recently have scientists been able to measure that. So they can't directly measure it, but they have what's called indirect measurements of what happens. So they, you know, they took people and they gave them different foods and then they looked at their urine, which is excreted by the kidneys. Um, and they looked at what was excreted by the, by the urine, like what the kidney was doing. And they also looked at the blood. So they took blood samples and they did a bunch of measurements and they determined the net effect of these foods on our acid base balance. So this is pretty relatively new because this is not something that I was taught in medical school. Okay. Fruits and vegetables. And then Pretty much everything else is acid forming. So, dairy is very acid forming. Okay, meat like animal protein is acid forming, and even whole grains is acid forming. Very interesting to know. All right. So, for example, um, you want to maintain this balance. And um, what we were taught in medical school is that the body is able to do it effortlessly. Like it just maintains the balance. And that um, the only way that you can, not the only way, but a way that you can dysregulate that balance is through breathing. Like if you hyperventilate, so you breathe too much or you hypoventilate, you breathe too little. And for that to occur to the point where your blood is affected, you need to have some kind of like um, medical condition like a pneumonia or something like that, like an infection in the lungs. Or you're very purposefully doing breath work like Wim Hof, you know, the... Um, um, the Iceman, you know, he does his very particular kind of breathing and he changes the chemistry of his body through that breath work. But it wasn't thought that the food could do that necessarily. And what also came up recently was the knowledge that in healthy people, so people who don't have any health conditions, there's a point at which if the diet continuously has a higher majority, uh, like a, a bigger proportion of acid producing foods, the body will actually take minerals from the bone, will pull minerals from the bone in order to balance that acidity. And what's alkaline is calcium and magnesium, for example. Okay. 
So let's say you're someone who's engaged in diet that you look at your plate and you see, um, for example, a lot of pasta, you've got your meat or you've got your, um, you know, your whole grains, like your rice, you've got a big bowl of pasta or rice, you've got a lot of meat, you've got the sauce, and then you've got like a small serving of vegetables. That's a very acidic meal. Okay. And even vegans and vegetarians can eat this way. You know, we have a big bowl of pasta and a big bowl or a big bowl of rice or a big bowl of quinoa, big bowl of brown rice or black rice or wild rice, and then a little bit of vegetables. That's going to be a very highly, um, you know, acidic um, plate, so to speak. Okay. And for ketogenic dieters, right, if you do what's called dirty keto, the slang being dirty keto versus clean keto, the difference is. Dirty keto, you're basically getting moderate protein, high fats, and you're minimizing your vegetables because you think that vegetables are going to give you too many carbs. That's going to offset your keto uh, state. Um, And so what these people are doing when they have their meats and their dairies, like their cheese and their, you know, bacon and all that kind of stuff. So bacon, you know, one, one asparagus wrapped in three slices of bacon that's a very highly forming um, acidic meal as well, right? Versus someone who's engaged in a clean ketogenic diet, which is a huge plate of vegetables loaded with olive oil for that healthy fats, the vegetables, the fibers turned by the microbiome into ketones, and you have a small, um, you know, a moderate amount of protein. And so that plate would be more, um, less acid forming. It would be better balanced. And what the research shows is that when you look at your plate, in order to have the ideal balance is you would have your plate about 80% vegetables and 20% something else. So that 20% could be the meat. It could be your whole grains, like your, like your white basmati rice, you know, your quinoa, that kind of thing. Okay. And so why is this important? Because There's a lot of debate if something like the um, carnivore diet, that's a big one out there that's been talked about a lot, right? And so that's almost, that's pretty much 100% acid forming diet. If you look at the renal potential acid load, okay, numbers on that one. So these people um, doing these dirty ketos and the carnivore diet and the vegan and vegetarian and paleo diets where they're eating either a lot of meat or a lot of Uh, whole grains, like too many whole grains or too much dairy uh, and eggs, right? Eggs are animal products. So if you're lacto-ovo vegetarian or lacto-vegetarian and you're really um, going hard on those products, what can happen is that you might feel good in the short term. Like, you know, it, it helps with something that you were experiencing in the short term. I wonder, and this is something that we're gonna discover over time, is what is gonna be the effect on the bone? Okay, because as I mentioned before, what the body will do is it will pull minerals like calcium and magnesium out of the bones to help balance the pH levels of the body. And as you know, that is not a good thing. We do not want our body pulling minerals out of our bones because what can happen over time is you can progress to having osteopenia first, which is um, the the levels of minerals in the bone have decreased to the extent where if you do like an x-ray or DEXA scan of the bones, which tell you your bone mineral density, so the density of your bones, 
your doctor will say, oh, your bone density is not as good as it should be. It's going down, right? So um, go drink your dairy. <laughs> go have your dairy products and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, I think there's a paradox between this idea that dairy is necessary for bone health versus the um, fact that dairy causes can cause an imbalance in this potential renal acid load in a negative way. Okay? And the dairy that has the most oil in it, like ghee, for example, causes the least problem. In fact, it can be neutral in that way. And then the dairy with the most protein uh, in it, um, because it's generally speaking, it's the type of protein that causes these acid loads. So the protein in animal and dairy is very different than the protein in vegetables. And the mineral contents are different too. So, uh, so this person, you know, unknowingly um, has more dairy and they probably have already been having dairy because the average person was taught that dairy was important for bone health. And so they've been consuming dairy, you know, uh, as a person should, so to say, and they get this diagnosis and they keep consuming dairy or they keep increasing uh, their dairy consumption or whatever it is that that looks like. And then a few years down the road, um, they now have osteoporosis. And remember, you don't need to um, be drinking or having dairy in order to develop this problem because the renal acid load can also happen with too many whole grains. So um, as I mentioned before, and too much animal protein, as I mentioned. So, and the other thing to keep in mind too, is that um, there's a concern um, that uh, carbonated beverages can also cause this issue, right? Because it's um, a different kind of acidity. Um, when you carbonate a beverage, it changes its pH level. And I have, I have met people who are just incredibly healthy, but they love their carbonated beverages. You know, they don't want to give that up and, that, and they run into problems. And I always wonder, you know, if it was it that carbonated beverage that they have been taking every day, day in and day out. So osteoporosis is the diagnosis that you get when you hit a certain point where your bone mineral density is so low that it's like it, it can be picked up quite significantly by that x-ray of the bones, that's that very special type, that DEXA scan of the bones. And the problem with it is that you become at high risk for what's called fragility fractures. And what is that? Well, there's regular fractures, which is like you get hit by a baseball bat, you know, or you fall from a very high height and you break your bone. That's to be expected. Even a person with strong bones will break their bone. But a fragility fracture is when a person breaks their bone when they fall from things like standing. Like they're simply standing and they fall and they break their hip. That's very common, unfortunately, in older um, individuals. Or you fall on an outstretched hand and you break your wrist. The examples go on. Basically, fragility fractures when you break your bones with a very low impact, you know, very low force impact. So we definitely don't want osteoporosis. Um, so we want to do everything we can to figure it out. And then you say, well, okay, Dr. Patricia, um, so you're telling me that dairy is not good for me. So why is it that we've been told that we should have dairy? And can you just explain that a little bit more to me? And I'll say, okay. Well, the reason we've been told we should have dairies because um, of a, we went down the wrong road on our understanding of dairy and its role on bone health. And I'm going to I'm going to have to take you back um, about ten thousand years for you to understand how we went down the wrong road here. All right. So, 
What I really love is diving into research from different areas. And one area that I absolutely find fascinating is called anthropology, which is the study of bones. And what's cool about the study of bones is that, you know, there's some things that we just can't know about the past, but when we look at the bones of our ancestors, they give us so much information and this information will just blow your mind. So there's the study I came across. Uh, it was a study done on bones that were found in cemeteries in an area of Europe about 10,000 years ago. And what's interesting about 10,000 years ago is that that's when we began to transition from hunter-gatherers to agricultural um, cultures. Okay? And that transition happened, not everybody all at once, but if you imagine like a group of villages all in the same geographical area, some of the people living there are still hunter-gatherers, which means that they were kind of nomads. They traveled in order to um, find the best food, like animals to hunt and wild plants to cultivate. They did a little bit of cultivation of a few things, um, but they didn't, for example, have domesticated animals, cows and goats and sheep where they could milk them and drink their, um, their milk. They didn't have that. They were roaming kind of and um, doing a little bit of farming, not very much. Okay? Definitely not monoculture crops. And then there were their neighbors who, for who, who knows why, maybe it's like the interior designer gene or something, but decided they didn't want to move around anymore. They wanted to sit, put down their roots. They started farming. So they took seeds and then they planted them, um, you know, a few seeds and planted them and started farming these crops. And this all happened around the same time. So same in the same region, which means similar DNA similar ancestral backgrounds, similar, exactly the same actually environment, right? So all of those things are controlled for, so to speak, like there's no, nothing could account for the differences uh, with respect to that. And these, the, they found these cemeteries from these two different, different kinds of tribes and they compared the bones of these people. And this is fascinating, okay? Um, what they found was that the hunter-gatherers had the most beautiful, big, robust thick, strong bones, like beautiful, big bones, very thick. And if they, um, if there was ever, ever an evidence of a fracture, um, like someone fell or like got hurt or was in a war, let's say, and got like a broken bone, they found that that bone healed up super well, like very well knit bone, they call it. Okay. So the gap of the fracture was filled up with really good quality bone. And this was the case, I mean, they didn't necessarily live to be very old in those days, but even for the people who had like the old bones, they had really, really good quality bones, like very good until the day that they died. Okay. And um, then when they took the other group, the villagers who were doing agriculture, what they found was within one generation of doing agriculture, so the children of the people who were farming, their bones were super brittle and thin. Okay. So smaller and more and thinner and more brittle, okay, within one generation of farming. And these people hadn't yet started domesticating animals. And what happened was what they pieced together, sort of like detective work over the ages, was that um, because they noticed that their children were not thriving, they were not doing well, um, but they seemed, I guess, committed to staying in one place and doing agriculture. What they did is they started to domesticate animals and they started to milk them and drink their milk because they wanted their children to thrive, you know, um, so that they could survive and pass on their genes. That's not what they're thinking, but they wanted their children to survive just like we all do. 
So they said, okay, well, let's supplement their our diet, and they would get these animals and milk them. And what happened was um, they they found that the bones got better with the milk intake, but they never got as good as the hunter gathers. And to this day, our bones are not as strong, as big, and as robust as those hunter gathers. So the um, anthropologists who um, were looking at this were like, oh, this is very interesting. Well, where did people then get their calcium from in those days? So they did, um, I found this really interesting paper called Calcium and Evolution. And first you have to understand that the bone is not just made out of calcium. It's made out of at least 12 minerals. Okay, so tons of minerals, fat and protein. Um, so it's, and cells like bone cells, you know, there's cells in there do, making new bone, breaking down old bone. Um, so it's a community going on in there and it's not just calcium, but calcium, we're going to use that as an example. Okay. And they're like, okay, where is the source of calcium coming from for those paleo um, hunter gatherers? And what they found when they analyzed their diets and took samples of, from those local areas of what they would have been eating, they found that the calcium intake from, from plants, so like green leafy vegetables in particular, but things even like seeds, like sesame seeds are full of calcium. So if you make tahini out of it and then make a hummus out of it, that's a very calcium rich meal. And it was also that the calcium came with all of the other minerals that are present in plants, particularly magnesium. Magnesium is very important for bone health because Magnesium helps things like the absorption of calcium in, um, and it helps the, the calcium to not deposit into our arteries, but to stay in, like, in the blood for long enough, in not, not hardening, so that it can get to the bone with the use of vitamins like vitamin K2 and vitamin D, which is a hormone. So you need hormones, you need vitamins, you need minerals in order to make a healthy bone. What they found with the with the milk is that it has a it had a different profile. That's not it didn't have all of those minerals. And vitamin K two comes from um, the microbes in plants. So um, it's produced by primarily by organisms that live in plants, like a fermentation, and also it's produced by micro the microorganisms in our gut, the microbiome, when it um, breaks down products like plants. Basically, what I gathered from this research is that. We, had, we have this a bit backwards, actually. So if you take into um, account that um, you can get very, very good, strong bones living a hunter-gatherer diet with absolutely no milk consumption beyond breast, breastfeeding years, so after you wean, which is typically around three years for those societies, those hunter-gatherer societies, and they're primarily only drinking human milk. They would only drink non-human milk if, like, for example, there was no human milk to be had and they would usually strive for things like goat's milk, which is a little bit more similar to the human protein milk than the cows. Um, but they would get them off of it pretty quickly. And they would just eat lots of wild vegetables that they would find um, that they would kind of gather throughout the year. And wild vegetables have, has a very, very high mineral content. And, or, and we know that organic vegetables um, have a much higher mineral content, like four to six times higher, depending on the mineral you're talking about, than non-organic vegetables. And we know also, like I mentioned before, that dairy actually can cause a more acidic state in the body and that can pull minerals out of your bones. So it's, they call it the bone buffering effect. The bone buffers the blood so it can stay within its normal range. Okay. 
Um, so the thing about taking blood when you're, when, if you just take the blood, when you're looking at the effects of food, yeah, the, the food doesn't look to have any effect on the pH level of the blood. It was only when they started looking at other things like the urine, the bone tissues and what's happening with the bones, um, that they started to piece together potential ramifications, like the long-term consequences that can come out of eating in a way that is primarily an acid kind of forming diet. And, you know, the t- processed foods are all acid forming, um, deep fried foods, your standard American diet, going to a fast food restaurant, that's extremely acid forming and even gluten-free products, right? Gluten-free products are made out of flour. That's usually made out of a whole grain and that can be very acid forming. So it always goes back down to what is the the ideal food for the human body. One principle that every single way of eating um, will agree on is that the core is that of having whole foods, mostly plants, some animal meat, but not too much in moderation, you know, an adequate source of healthy oils. Um, and that, you know, whether that, that can depend on your genetics, like how much oils you can tolerate. Um, and then everybody would, you know, I would say most nutritionists and dietitians and health food people would agree that processed foods is not the way to go. I would include, um, processed protein powders. So I am not a big fan of protein powders. Okay. I've, I've, I think I've already explained that in a previous podcast. Um, and here is, you know, it's just a very, very high amount, easily accessible protein that can potentially you know, I'm just thinking hypothetically because they haven't studied this with protein powders as far as I'm aware. Although one of the things they did do is one of the studies, what they used to produce in an acidic environment was egg whites, right? And a lot of people love egg whites to increase their protein intake. And so um, that's interesting. So I do think that um, if you're sticking to whole foods diet and, you know, if you have a problem uh, with not enough protein, Here's an interesting thing. Some people think they're not having enough protein because their muscles aren't big enough or their muscles are shrinking. Well, what they found is when you eat a high renal uh, potential acid loading diet, an acidic diet, it causes your muscles to shrink. Okay, because it causes a low state of acidity in the body and it's not minor, but it's, it's a big enough difference from, from a truly healthy balanced body that it leads to conditions like loss of muscle mass, which often happens with aging. Um, the other one was um, an inflammatory conditions like problems with diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, stroke, cardiac diseases. Like that's, that's where these authors were going to say that this low state of acidity causes inflammation, which can then contribute to all of these chronic diseases that we're seeing. So this is where I think we need to be very attentive to not just going along with the latest fad, you know, like the carnivore diet or the dirty ketogenic diet, because the thing is all of the studies on these kinds of ways of eating, which are very extreme, only look at short-term outcomes. They have not yet had the opportunity to look at long-term outcomes. And I certainly personally do not want to spend my life living an extremely restricted dietary way of eating only to find out later that I have really bad osteoporosis. You know, what a shame. Wouldn't that be such a shame? Now, I have to caveat this to say that 
That doesn't mean that you go towards a vegetarian diet with no animal protein and just tons of vegetables and olive oil, because as we learn from the work of Dr. Weston A. Price, is that every traditional culture, uh, you know, he looked at 14 countries and five, five continents around the world around the 1930s, 1940s, and they all ate animal products. And the reason for that is because there are specific kinds of vitamins and hormones that are present in the oil of these, of these, um, of these uh, animals that help us um, create tissues like healthy bones, okay? And also things like um, the cartilage in the joints, like the gristle and the ligaments and the tendons, like, you know, those, those cultures ate all of those parts. They ate the liver, all, everything, because, you know, the liver, if you get the liver of an animal that has been raised appropriately without um, hormones, antibiotics, and toxins, the only nutrient that it's missing is vitamin C as humans can't make vitamin C anymore. So that's the one thing you definitely have to supplement um, unless you're eating fresh seasonal, seasonal fruits that, have, that are high in vitamin C or being very attentive to your natural vitamin C intake. There's probably, uh, and, and you know, there is the ideal human diet, and then there's variations that will have to be made on that based on genetics, based on the stage of your life, right? Because young children... They have much stronger digestive forces than older people, so you usually have to transition away from raw foods into more cooked foods as you age, depending on the time of year. You know, Ayurveda, that traditional Hindu system of medicine, um, spoke very deeply about the fact that we should be varying our diets according to the time of year to compensate for the changes in the seasons. So we don't um, imbalance ourselves by overdoing a certain kind of eating during a season that doesn't go well with that kind of eating, which is pretty fascinating. I'll have to talk about that some other time. And, you know, you'll, you'll also have to change it uh, due to, you know, existing health conditions. Like if you have kidney disease or kidney failure, you're going to eat very differently from someone who doesn't as a necessity. However, I would say that all of those conditions, uh, regardless of your health goals and your stage of uh, your age and um, your state, state of health, I still believe that the golden rule of um, the laws of nature to stay away from things that were processed in the laboratory and not in nature, with few exceptions, it generally applies. And that's what I, I always apply my test to that. Um, when people say, well, should I eat that? I try to think according to the laws of nature and like the human body physiology and how that works. And so when I came across this research, these two... So the research about renal potential acid load you'll find in what's called nephrology uh, journals, which is a study of the kidneys, and anthropology would be in the study of the bones. So two completely different areas of research, and you'd have to be able to access those two different points and be able to pull that all together to come to um, the conclusion that I've come to. And so this is, this is the way I practice as a health transformation expert, is um, helping individuals understand this and working with them to personalize their nutrition so that they can um, not only feel good for now, but also um, expect a life of little to no medical diagnosis or conditions or the need for medicine. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice if you could live every day knowing that what you're doing is in alignment with long-term health? And that's what I think that deep peace that comes from that is what I try to help people achieve.
taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. 